Um, well, we'll be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. If you'd like to go ahead and turn that way, we'll be in Luke chapter 10. Um, and while you're turning, uh, if you don't mind, say a prayer for me this morning. Uh, it's been a long week of VBS. I've been traveling. Uh, my son is now old enough that he can come climb in bed with us, and he's had an ear infection and some other stuff. And uh, he sleeps all catawampus. I mean, it's just, he's not happy unless we're in an H formation um, in the bed. So you can send a little prayer for me this morning. Uh, we're with less sleep than I'd like to be, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, this morning, uh, the sermon is titled The Ungathered Harvest. And like I said, we'll be in Luke chapter 10. When we're looking at Luke chapter 10, uh, the big idea or the big uh, message behind this passage, Luke 10, 1 through 4, is that God wants to use Christians to gather the harvest of lost souls. So God wants to use Christians to gather the harvest of lost souls. Um, so now that we're in Luke chapter 10, we will be reading verses 1 through 4, and I'll go ahead and read that for us, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump right in. So... Luke chapter 10, verse 1 says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of them in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you. Um, we thank you for just another opportunity to gather, an opportunity to just study your word together um, and to understand what it is you have for us and who we are um, and who we are to be. We pray that as we study this this morning that you'll give us um, just the understanding of the need to share your word and to share you with others and the boldness and opportunity uh, to do so. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So again, this morning, uh, the ungathered harvest. Um, so when we think about this and we think about what we just read, Luke 10, 1 through 4, stopping at verse 5, um, the first point we need to look at is that Christians are sent. Um, so Christians are sent. And when we think about what we started with in the context of what's going on here, um, verse 1 says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. He sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. So the beginning of this passage starts with after this, which begs the question, after what? Um, so when we think about Luke 10, Luke 9, um, if you've been reading through Luke or if you've ever read through Luke, in chapter 9, that's kind of Jesus wrapping up his end of his Galilean ministry, um, ending his time going out, performing miracles, and beginning the time of him headed toward the cross in Jerusalem. Okay, so the, in chapter 9 ends his Galilean ministry and points toward him going to the cross in Jerusalem. So after this, that's what they're talking about. It also talks about 72 others. Your translation might say 70, depending on what translation you have. But 70 or 72 others, those are talking about the people that Jesus had gathered, the people who had decided to follow Jesus, who had faith in Jesus when he was going through different areas, performing those miracles up to this point um, in the first nine chapters of Luke. And the transition can be seen here for, in a couple different ways. Um, so Jesus comes uh, previously, reading up to chapter 9, he came and performed miracles. And then after he did that, people would believe and follow. And now we see Jesus sending people ahead of him, um, telling them that he is going to go there. But first, he's sending others to go and prepare the hearts and souls of those headed that way. And he sends them in pairs is another thing we need to note before we get started. And uh, there's potentially two reasons for this in the Old Testament. Um, so sending them in two, not by themselves. Um, the first reason will be comfort. 
Um, so if you read through Ecclesiastes, you'll see Solomon says that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another one to lift him up. So the first reason would be comfort. If they were to get discouraged, if something was to happen, they'd have someone else with them, a companion along the road. The second reason that he would have sent them in pairs, and probably the most important reason he would have sent them in pairs, is confirmation. So if you read through the law and you read through the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy it talks about um, one cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person, whatever that person has done, a fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So when you read Old Testament law, they're living in this period of when you go into a legal situation or you go into a courtroom, you need two people to be able to confirm anything that's true. So if one of them walked into a town by themselves and said, hey, I saw this guy, he raised the guy back to life, he performed all these miracles, turned water into wine, the people would be like, hey, that guy's crazy, do you have a witness? He says, no, they're like, all right, get out of our town. But if he sends them in pairs, he has someone following right behind them. Um, hey, I saw this guy. He did all these things. He's the Lord. And then the second person could confirm that. So the second reason that he would have sent them in pairs would be confirmation um, for any fact that they were about to present. So it would help establish what they're saying was true, sends them in pairs out that way. So when we think about sending, he's sending them in verse 3. The first two words are, now go. Uh, they believed Jesus. These followers did, these 70 people, 72 people. They believed in Jesus. They had followed him up to this point, and now he is sending them. So they believed, they followed. Now they are being sent into the world, into different towns um, to share the word of Jesus or just prepare the hearts for Jesus himself. And they were chosen for a reason. So these people followed Jesus. They were chosen. They were given a reason, and that is to go and to prepare the hearts for Jesus, to share the word of Jesus. So Christians are sent. We are called to go just like these people. And when you think about this from a couple different illustrations, um, an easy one would be sports. Um, you think about different, different teams, different things like that. And when we think about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of, you know, or just spiritual things in general, um, there are no free agents when it comes to um, the spiritual realm, okay? There are no free agents. There's no one who's floating in the middle not playing for a team. You're playing for one of two teams, okay? You're playing for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the world. Jesus is sending these people from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of the world um, as they're playing for his team. Another uh, illustration would be one from the business world. No one is unemployed in the kingdom of God, okay? Um, no one's unemployed. You either work for good, you work for Jesus, you work for God, or you work for the enemy. Um, Jesus doesn't give an option for um, us to sit and watch. You are called, Christians are sent, and we are called to go as these people were. The second point we need to look at is that we have a labor force problem. We have a labor force problem. Verse 2 says, He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So we think about harvest, we think about laborers, what is Jesus talking about here? Uh, the harvest are the souls waiting to be brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. The souls waiting to be brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. Um, these are the souls that are ready to come off the plant and be used for the purposes of God. Uh, the harvest is the people waiting to be used by God that Christians are called to go um, and harvest. And the laborers are those who follow Christ, those of us, those are the people that have followed Jesus up to this point, those who are able to bring what is necessary to prevent the crops um, from rotting. And crops are kind of an interesting thing. He would have used this because of um, the agricultural society, but it's easy to see today. Uh, my granddad has these two giant apple trees in his yard and always has my entire life. 
I literally have no idea why he has them because I've eaten maybe three apples off of that in my entire life. They're green, it didn't end well. Um, but you know how it goes. He has these two giant apple trees and they just every year we watch apples grow, they look nice, they fall off, and then they just fall on the ground and rot. And no one ever goes to get them. And, you know, was, they had a pool and we'd run around barefoot. And then when they rot on the ground, you step in it, it's gross, it's a whole thing. Um, we won't get into all that today. But the point being, he had these apple trees, but he never harvested the apples off of them. Um, every time I ever ate an apple at my granddad's house, it 100% came from the grocery store. Every time with two giant apple trees uh, in his yard. See, when we plant harvest, when we plant crops, um, we don't plant crops without the intent to harvest because it makes no sense. Otherwise, they fall off, they rot, your grain could step in them, and all other kinds of things. We don't plant crops without an intent to harvest because it doesn't make sense. And the Lord, the one who created crops, who created harvest, and obviously knows um, the purpose there, uh, the Lord does not plant crops without an intent to harvest. And that's what we're talking about right here. And uh, the harvest is intended and the harvest is commanded, as we see here, but the laborers are few. But the laborers are few. You see, the problem presented in this passage isn't the harvest. Uh, a lot of times we want to view the problem as people unwilling to respond. You know, the problem is not that heathens in the world are unwilling to respond to the gospel. The problems are that Christians are unwilling and not diligent in their willingness to share the gospel. You see, a lot of times we would rather um, see a field of rotten crops or uh, rotten apples under a tree than risk our comfort and convenience to go get what the Lord has planted for us. And God didn't even ask us to plant it, is the crazy part. We didn't actually have to go and put in a lot of work for this to happen. We weren't asked to go plant, we weren't asked to go water, we weren't asked to go put in till the fields or anything like that. God literally says the harvest is plentiful already, you just have to go get it. The laborers are few. And we see these things and we wonder why we're in the shape that we're in. Um, you know, it's easy to look and see that the world is not what it should be. I don't think that's a secret to anyone. You know, we can name a hundred things right now. And, but the problem isn't the harvest. The problem is the laborers. We are not willing to go out and share God's word. Yet, and that is why the harvest um, has not been harvest, or has not been gathered. And the thing, we often view this, again, as the world is the problem, but the world is what it's always been, and that's sinful. Ever since Eve ate from the tree in the garden, the world has been sinful. It's always been that way. It's no more sinful now than it was in the Old Testament. It's no more sinful now than it was in the time of Jesus. It's no more sinful now than it was 50 years ago. It just looks a little different, okay? The world is not more sinful. It's just sinful in different ways or presented in different ways. You see, we, as Christians, the people not going out to harvest, are the problem, but the encouraging part is we are also the solution. And we think about how we're the solution. Well, Jesus gives us the ways that we're the solution. Um, if you continue reading in chapter 10, it says, Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest and send out workers into his harvest. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Um, so the first thing we see here is that we are called to pray. Uh, we are, as Christians, called to pray for those lost. We are called to pray uh, for those people who are out and dying um, without Jesus. Uh, I had the privilege of going to New Orleans a couple weeks ago and heard the convention sermon by a guy named Todd Unzinger. And a lot of good things were presented. Uh, and one of the things he presented was our, in our prayer life how we often pray more for people who are 
sick, people we know are Christians, people we know who are believers, we pray more for them to be healed than we do for people whose souls are dying and going to hell. We would rather pray for those who are spiritually healthy but physically sick than we would pray for those who are spiritually sick but physically healthy. And the question he asked was, why are we more concerned with keeping saints out of heaven than sinners out of hell? And when he said that, that stung a little bit. Uh, as someone who has a grandmother who's dying of dementia, as someone who's had, you know, family pass away, people who are close to me uh, that have suffered through medical issues, you know, that, that hits home. You know, I think everyone here could attest that they have known someone or know someone who is struggling physically. And he was not saying that we shouldn't pray for those people because we should, but the emphasis of our prayer life shouldn't be so much on those who are spiritually healthy, but those who are spiritually sick. And the second thing is we are called to go. We are called to go. So he says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. To send out workers into his harvest. So when we think about prayer, we think about going. Uh, John Mark and I had the opportunity to go to the REACH conference a couple months ago. And they presented a really good, a guy from NAM presented a really good strategy for prayer and going and thinking about this. And his strategy was pray for Bob. Uh, not talking about Bob Bowling, but we'll pray for you though, Bob. Um, but uh, pray for Bob. And the strategy here is pretty simple. Bob is an acronym. And the first B in Bob stands for pray for a burden for the lost. You see, we often don't have a burden for the lost, or at least some of us struggle with not really understanding or striving to pray for the lost. The first thing we need to pray for is a burden and a concern for lost people. We need to pray for the burden for the lost. The second one is the O, and that is the opportunity to share. So now that we've prayed for our burden for the lost, we have a burden to see lost souls um, saved, the next thing we need to do is pray for the opportunity to share with those souls. So we pray for burden, opportunity. And the last B is boldness to proclaim Christ. So pray for the burden for the lost, the opportunity to share, and the boldness to proclaim Christ. So we pray for Bob. And I was thinking about this. I prayed uh, all week last week talking about, thinking about praying for Bob and praying for the burden, the opportunity, and the boldness. And I'm going to tell one on Mariana here. Um, I prayed over our family. I said, God, give us the burden, opportunity, and the boldness. And Mariana had to go, we had in Bowling Green, she had to go for a test, and she went into, went into a, the, the facility, whatever it was. And she walks in, and she's talking to this lady. Ladies find out she's from Allen County. And Mariana's like, oh, this is perfect. I'm going to share Jesus with her. I'm going to share, invite her to church. And so she says, okay, like, where do you go to church? And the lady looks at her and says, well, I'm actually the pastor at a church down the road. And there she was like, she's a little flabbergasted and taken back there for a second, but she she said, okay, well, I'm glad we both love Jesus. Uh, glad to know. Uh, glad to know you love Jesus as well. And so when you pray for Bob, God will present opportunities for you to go out and share the boldness of Christ. But that story to say, just because we're sharing doesn't mean we should expect people to fall down on their knees and accept Christ every time we share, okay? Statistics say that a person has to hear the gospel seven times before they accept Christ, or on average, they have to hear the gospel seven times. So at best, you're a one in seven chance of being the person that shares the gospel and they accept Jesus. But that should not discourage you from continuing to go and share. Because when we pray for the burden, the opportunity, and the boldness, God will give us those opportunities. And those opportunities are the only way that a lot of people will be able to hear Christ. So think about being called to go, folks. We need less loungers and we need more laborers. We need less consumers and we need more Christians. We need less freeloaders and we need more farmers who are willing to go out 
and get the harvest God has planted for us. And an easy excuse for us is, I don't know where to start. I've not been trained. What do I even do when I, when I have this opportunity, when I have this opportunity to share? And uh, Luke 8 actually shows us, we go back a couple of chapters, it shows us that God and Jesus do not give an excuse for um, not knowing and not being trained as a reason for not sharing the gospel. Uh, Jesus encounters a man who had been possessed by demons, by a legion of demons, and when he does the, or when he encounters this man, after he casts the demons out, it says, The man from whom demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him. But he sent them away and said, Go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And he went, proclaiming Christ through town, how much Jesus had done for him. So he had not been trained in evangelism. He had not gone through any sort of official, here's the ABCs of Christ, here are the ABCs of salvation. He had just went and told people what Jesus had done for him. And we did the This Is My Story thing a couple months ago and thinking about that um, as I was working on this sermon. Uh, the best place to start or a great place to start with telling people about Jesus is just telling people what Jesus did for you. Because if we truly believe that people without Jesus go to hell and that hell is real and Jesus is who he says he was, then we need to share the gospel. And we need to get excited about the gospel because the gospel is the only thing that gives us hope in this world. The fact that though God created the world perfectly, men ruined it with sin, and then he sent his son, his only son, willingly to atone for our sin and to save us so that we can have a relationship with him and so that we can continue our relationship with him into eternity in heaven. Um, knowing that that is the only thing um, that can prevent these souls from rotting or prevent them from going to hell. We have something to be excited about. Jesus tells us in his last words before he leaves, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And it's scary. I get that. Not knowing what to do, being unprepared. It can be scary at times talking to people about Jesus, talking to people about something we feel unprepared for. Uh, but that brings us to our last point, which is God provides for those he calls and those he sends. God provides for those he sends. And Jesus warns the disciples uh, that this won't always be pleasant. In verse 3, he says, Now go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And if you've watched Animal Planet or Planet Earth, I don't feel like a huge need to explain what that means, lambs among wolves. I'll give it to you the short version that the lamb almost never wins, if ever wins. Uh, so the, he's sending them out like lambs among wolves, like prey among predators is what he is implying here. And the disciples come to learn this as well, if not better than anyone, as all but one of them were murdered. In a lot of cases, they were martyred for their faith. Uh, so the disciples came to know this as well as anyone, that they were the lambs among wolves. And all the disciples, like I said, were murdered except for John. And that wasn't for a lack of effort because the Romans tried to boil him alive because apparently that's what they did back in the day. Uh, so John also was attempted or had an attempt um, to be murdered, but apparently he's just slippery, like, you know, I don't know, the shrimp Alfredo ate at Olive Garden or something like that. But I mean, he just, I mean, he's a slippery guy, got away from those Romans. But anyway, uh, verse four, as we continue on, says, don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. And this is kind of a weird transition from verse three, as he's saying, I'm sending you out like prey among predators. And then the th next thing you think he would say will be, but take heart, I will be with you always, which he says in other places. But in this specific scenario, the next thing he says is, 
You're like prey among predators. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. This could easily be taken as don't come prepared, uh, but that's not what the Lord is saying. He's saying, I'm sending you, and because I'm sending you, you are to trust in me. Because in verse 1, it says that he would not, he's not sending them somewhere where he wasn't planning on going. In verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. He sent them ahead in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. God provides for those he calls. He provides for those he sends. He wasn't sending them somewhere he was not going to go. And when we go, we have to trust in God. Because quite frankly, we're pretty terrible at planners as it is anyway. Uh, so me and my wife, when we got married, when we were thinking about getting married, you know, people say you're never prepared for marriage anyway, so we just jumped right in, caution to the wind. I don't regret that at all, but there's definitely some things that we probably should have prepared more for as we jumped into marriage. My brother, on the other hand, very, he doesn't take many wild hairs, I'll put it that way. He's not a, he is a planner, a preparer. And when I was talking to him about when he was going to get married, he said, I want to have this much money in my bank account. I want this box checked. I want to be done with this and this and this. And when I'm done, I'll be married and everything will be great. My brother recently moved out of my parents' house again as he tore his Achilles tendon about six weeks ago and had to have it sewn uh, back together because of a freak accident. He was literally just running on a basketball court and it came apart. And so... He did not prepare all of that to move back in with my parents for four weeks so that he could move back out again and learn to walk again. Folks, we are not good at preparing. We have to trust in the Lord. And we're bad at preparing for the next chapter of the book because we're not the author. We have to trust in God because he is the only one who knows what's going to happen next. So trust in the Lord when we go. And Jesus told the men to trust in his provision. And if you read further into Luke, when you get closer to the end in chapter 22, he brings this specific passage back up. He says to them, when I sent you without a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? He asked them straight up, when I sent you this time, did you lack anything? Not a thing, they said. So it was scary. He sent them out. He sent him out and told him to trust in me and I'll take care of you. And when he did, and they did, they did not lack a thing. God provided for them when he called them and sent them. God will provide for us when he calls us and sends us. The harvest is ready. The harvest is abundant and it's ready now. Jesus doesn't say to wait. He doesn't say to hang back. It's almost ready. He says the harvest is already abundant the workers are few. And you see, just like these men who followed Jesus, just like these men who trusted in Jesus, they were saved from something. And just like them being saved to something, we are also saved to something. We are not just saved from something, but to something. We are saved to go to the harvest. And again, we don't have to sit down, and I could throw a hundred stats at you and all these other things to show you that the world is in rough shape and in need of Jesus and in need of a Savior. That's not a secret. You know that. You can look around. You can watch the news, all the things, and know that the world needs Jesus. So we're called to go. So let's pray, and let's go. 
And when we think about prayer, uh, when we go to mariachis or wherever we eat after this, I don't know where the rest of y'all eat, um, we go to mariachis or wherever we eat after this, generally when we pray over our food as Christians, we say something like, God, um, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. And we generally follow that with, and bless our bodies to your service. What I ask you to do today is when you pray that specific part of the prayer, bless our bodies to your service, I just ask you to mean it. Because a lot of times it's easy when we think about praying, you know, God, I'll go, send me, and we don't actually mean it, or we don't think about it. Or we say things like that, and they just kind of go on, like we know we're supposed to say them, not because we actually mean them. So when you pray today, bless our bodies to your service, and when you pray for Bob, mean it. Folks, we're called to go, and we're called to pray. So as we do that, I'm getting ready to pray in a minute. Um, if you'd like to talk more, I may have a decision you'd like to make after the service, I'll be down here. If you don't know Jesus, and you're like, I hear what you're saying, and I would love to know more, I would be happy and love to talk to you about that after we finish. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for just another opportunity to get together and study your word. We pray for boldness. We pray for a burden for the lost. We pray for just a desire to see those souls who are not being harvested and heading towards rotting in hell for all eternity. We pray that you'll give us a burden for those people. And we pray that you'll give us an opportunity to share the gospel with those people. And we pray that when you give us that opportunity, God, you will give us the boldness to share you and share your word. And we pray, God, that as we leave here and as we go, that you will use our bodies and our lives to your service in the kingdom of God. And I pray that if there's anyone here or anyone that we know in our communities, God, that is not saved and does not know you as their Savior and has not put their faith in you, God, that we will be able to be a part of what you are doing in their lives um, when you call them and when you save them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.